The history of ancient Israel is filled with difficult times. I think that's one of the reasons the history is preserved for us. You've heard enough stories of the hard times Israel faced to realize that their history as the people of God isn't a red carpet runway or a jaunt down easy street. Those who serve God still have difficulties to face. Haggai, look that up in the index of your Bible, is one of the first prophets of the Lord after the exile is over. In case you forget, the nation of Israel is overrun and decimated back about 70 years before Haggai speaks. And he's speaking in about 520 BC, somewhere in that range, and it's like 586 BC that the nation is destroyed. So there's this roughly 70 or so year period between the destruction of Israel the return of the people beginning to return to Israel out of exile, which is the time that the prophet Haggai is speaking. Um, because the prophecies in the book of Haggai are dated within the text, it's easy to put them into the timeline so we can understand how to interpret them even better. The people who left to go to Babylon have started to return. They've come back out of exile. They've begun to build homes. They've gotten resettled in the land. Urgent things have taken their attention. There have been threats to them after they come back to their homeland. Um, when they got back to their homeland, they needed places to live, ways to survive. And now that those things have been somewhat established, Haggai announces it is time for them to return their attention to the worship of God. And because for Israel, the center of their worship is the temple, it's time to rebuild the house of God. So this is the word of the Lord from the prophet Haggai, chapter one, starting in verse 13. Haggai is listed as one of the minor prophets, not because it's of less importance, because it's just this wee little tiny book. There's not much to it there, but he packs a punch in these four prophecies, these four words of the Lord that the prophet speaks to Israel. This is Haggai 1, starting in verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. I'm jumping down now to chapter two, getting ready to go into verse three. Ask them, Haggai is getting information of the Lord. Ask the people, Haggai, who of you is left who saw this house, the temple, in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem like nothing to you? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all ye people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. 
in a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Like other times in scripture, when God declares his intentions for Israel in the face of difficult times, God specifically outlines his plans for his people. This God that they and we serve seems to be a God of second chances. He seems to be a God of encouragement. Even when it's very hard to believe that good times are ahead, God proclaims that present faithfulness will bring results and that he is continually desiring to push us forward into the great future of the kingdom of God. I mean, let's look more closely at how this particular passage unfolds. First notice that the comparison between what the temple once was and what it is now isn't lost to God. He's present at all times. He sees exactly the situation as it stands today, but he was present in the past and he knew what it was like back then. And he's present today and he knows exactly what it looks like today. Now everyone else who's watching has no idea what it will be over here, right? But one person on the scene knows what it will be over here, right? The God who sees the past, the present, and the future. He knows what it will be and what it can be, but we don't. We gotta take his word on it, right? So he knows what the past was in the future. And when he tells Haggai to talk to the people, he says, you know, are there any of those folks around here who remember what it was like back then? Well, it's possible that there are. I mean, if you were four or five when the enemy came and wiped out the nation and were carried into exile at four or five, maybe by four or five you can remember that far back. Because it's been about 70 years since that happened. So four or five and 70, that makes you 75. And then we've been back in the land for a few years, so maybe you're 80. There's some folks here who are 80 this morning. And they have a chance of remembering what the former glory of the temple was like. And those people specifically will know the comparison between the grandeur of the old thing and the not so much of the present after the enemy has come and ravaged the land. If you consider that, it makes you wonder what stories do the octogenarians tell, right? Do they tell the story of the grandeur of the temple? Or do they tell the story of the invading enemy armies? Or do they tell the story of the captivity in exile? What, 
What message do those who remember tell? I mean, the stories of the past include the stories of the downfall, of all the pain, of all the discouragement, of all these years living apart from the grandeur that they remember. You can almost hear some of those folks say, yeah, before all that other stuff happened, life was good here, and the temple was grand, and we were a first-rate nation, but look at us now. The wall is ruined. The temple's destroyed. The fields are in poor repair. And you might wonder, how do you escape the kind of negative momentum that is fueled by our current inability to measure up to the standards of the past? How do you get past that? I mean, do you understand the question I'm asking? You know, maybe you experience it a little bit differently. Maybe some of you older folks, what was that early morning passage about old folks who are old and gray? Um, maybe you remember it like this. When the kids were here at home, life was full and maybe a little hectic. We had tons of fun and life was great, but now the kids have grown and they've moved away. We never see them. They're caught up in their own lives and we don't really have enough to do and we're lonely and life will never again be as good as it once was. And then when our spouse dies, things get even worse. Or, or maybe you experience it like this. You have a great job, but technology is changing and you aren't fast enough to learn the new technology to stay current. And so you are gradually marginalized at your job and maybe even laid off later in life, but significantly short of retirement age and you once had financial means and now you have financial worries instead and you've lost the feeling of being needed at work and you've lost your influence and most of your work friends and you aren't really sure that you have a future. I can't begin to sketch out all of the ways we can easily lose hope. Difficult diagnoses financial hardships, relational losses, emotional overloading, trauma or abuse, natural disasters. My brother's in-laws lost most of their home in Florida just a few weeks ago. At 80 years of age, they can't do hardly anything themselves to clean up the property or find contractors to repair the damage because they're competing with everybody else in Florida for those same contractors. I'm sure they feel trapped with no way out. They remember the good days, the days that they served as missionaries, as professors, as pastors and leaders, but now everything looks bleak with no end in sight. I don't know how you're feeling about life right now, but this passage and so many others in scriptures remind me of this very true thing. God speaks into our hopelessness. 
He has a word for us in the face of hopeless times. And did you hear the promise he made to those Israelis who were standing around looking at the rubble of their temple and being called to do something about it? He says, the glory of the new temple you will build will exceed the glory of the old one. That's his promise to them. But I'm confident that he doesn't just speak that promise into Haggai's time. I believe he speaks into this time as well. Listen to these words from Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We have hope anchored in the promise of God for us today. Here's Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Here's Romans 15, 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Romans 15, five. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are being specifically invited to have hope, to hold on to, to grab onto hope. You might ask, why? Why have hope? Well, we have exactly the same promises these ancient Hebrews have, exactly the same ones. If you look back at that passage from Haggai, you see that the Lord says, be strong, be encouraged because, verse 4, I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit is among you. My spirit remains with you. Those are the promises that he was giving. Those are the same promises that we have today. You just heard me read them. Romans 15, 4. Everything that was written in Scripture was written so that you may be encouraged and have hope. That's why we have the Bible, essentially, so that you may have hope. Romans 5, our difficulties create opportunity for hope to grow in us. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. Romans 12, be joyful in hope. That's who we're to be in the time of difficulty. Those are the very same promises that Haggai announced. God's Spirit is present. God is with us. We can have hope. But we actually have better promises 
than any of the folks hearing Haggai ever had. We not only had God present, God with us by his Holy Spirit, we have God in us. And that's a game changer. So what should we expect? It's just possible then, since we have better promises, we can assume a better future. God is present with us and in us. Anything is possible. You say, but pastor, just look around. I don't know that we have the resources. We don't have the same workforce. We don't have the same. Well, did you miss verse eight of that first passage? The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former. It seems to me that God is not lacking in resources to bring about his will for us. He does say, tell the people, trust in me and get to work. He does say that. But it feels to me like he's saying all the resources you need will be provided as you become the people of hope and live as people of hope in the face of all the negativity that surrounds us. I'm wondering if we are not the people who are convinced that we serve the God of hope and encouragement, if we're not the positive people who speak a positive message about what God is doing in the world, why on earth would anyone listen to us at all? They can get their fill of negativity on Facebook and Instagram and anywhere else, right? I don't need one more negative voice speaking into my ear. Don't need it. There's plenty of that to go around. There's no famine of negativity these days. But the rare voice is the voice that proclaims the hope of God in the midst of the darkness. And the people of God, if the message of Christ is going to come through us, must be the people of hope. We must be the people of encouragement. We must be the people who believe that the glory of the new thing will far surpass the glory of the old thing. We have to believe that God is bringing a new thing and a new day and that his power is sufficient to deliver the promises that he brings to us. I mean, do you believe that? Not sure, apparently. I know that we're in a monologue situation here, but every once in a while you can say, yeah, I believe that, right? Right, exactly. Otherwise, our problems are much bigger than we can even deal with, right? Unless we are the people of hope, unless we are the people of encouragement, unless we are the positive folks who believe that God can deliver on all the promises of the word, we're in difficulty. We will never see God's future if we don't become his people. And his people are the people of hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the God of hope, this is Romans again, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.
Friends, I encourage you. Be strong and have hope. In every area of our lives, it is possible to glorify God. The future is in very competent hands. Trust him. Look up. Be encouraged. If I understand that Haggai is proclaiming the same message that Paul is proclaiming, the same that our spirit is proclaiming in these days. Six words, right? The best is yet to come. That's what we say every time your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is coming. We're already living in it now. And by the presence of the Spirit in our lives, we can anchor our lives in the hope of Jesus Christ. Let's do that. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, there is much to discourage us. We hear bad news at a faster rate than at any time in history. And yet, you have not changed. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you are the God of encouragement and hope. And we choose today to put our trust in you. Help us, Lord, for the days when our emotions don't measure up to our confidence in you. Help us, Lord, increase our vision when all we can see around us are the things that are wrong rather than the blessing and power of God. Help us, Lord, to hang on firmly to hope, knowing you do all things well. Produce hope in us, and may we be your light in this world of darkness. To your glory we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me and sing a closing song? God, I look to you.
feeling overwhelmed today I invite you to join me at 6 o'clock tonight at the community prayer service where we will pray once again for the resources of God to come and, and lift us into his throne room once again and I would encourage you to trust him he has this in his hand and now by the grace of God may you be people of hope to bring light into this dark world, to the glory of God, now and forever. Amen. <laughs>